Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. We the only Recorded live. Hello, everyone. I apologize. Uh, running a little late. I was uh, having a touch of a technical challenge, but I got through it. Thank goodness. Um, all right. So let's begin uh, before we even take roll by going into a little prayer. And uh, we're going to clear our minds a bit as well. So let's just get comfortable and sit with our spines erect. Take a few deep breaths in. With each exhale, we just allow any stress or tension to begin to melt out of our physical body. We loosen our, we wiggle our toes and relax our feet. We relax our tummies. We relax our hands and our shoulders. Even relax the space around our eyes and ears and jaws. We breathe. intention to clear our mind so that we can clearly hear the voice of the divine, the Holy Spirit. We follow our breath from the inhale as it transforms in our lungs to an exhale and we follow it out. And in our mind's eye, we see a small ball of bright white light rotating clockwise in the center of our chest. As we place our attention on this light, it begins to grow and expand, fills our entire chest, flows up our throat into our head, it flows down our arms into our hands and fingers. This bright white light in waves just flows down our torso, past our sex organs and legs, down to our feet and toes. It soaks and saturates every muscle, every bone, every organ, until every atom, every cell, every electron of our physical being is one with this bright white light. It expands to fill our auric field, our etheric body. We invite waves and waves of bright white light to flow through our mental body, supporting us in creating space where there can sometimes seem like there's so much density We also send this bright white light through our emotional bodies, and it acts as a healing balm to any wounds that have been left open from the past. We cut the cords to past experiences in this life and past lives that no longer serve us. We bring with us only the loving wisdom we can harvest from all the experiences. We observe as this bright white light expands to fill the room that we are sitting, the house, the block, it flows through the streets, 
uniting us with everyone on this call, everyone in their cars, everyone in their homes, walking on the streets, having dinner in restaurants. It flows and flows. The bright white light seeps into the Pacific Ocean, instantaneously surrounding the planet. So we see all the places on Earth where images of the ego are in full display. Images of fear, images of violence, dis-ease, disorder, pain, suffering. We see them all vanish where the light displays the illusion and we realize the darkness does not fade, but the darkness was never there. We see the entire planet enveloped in bright white light. We give thanks. We feel the deep gratitude for the generosity of Mother Earth. And as if someone has flipped a switch, this light expands from the planet Earth to fill our galaxy and beyond to everything we can comprehend and further. And all there is is light. We are one with this light. We just breathe in this essence. The essence that always has been and always will be. There's nothing we need to be, nothing we need to do, nothing we need to get. We just breathe. take a deep breath of gratitude, grateful for the opportunity to be here in sacred circle with our brothers and sisters on the practitioner call. Oh, we offer up any blocks that might prevent us from being fully present here and now. Anything from the week that feels distracting, we gently place aside or place on the altar so we can alter our perception of it. We become willing to forgive. As we allow more and more light to penetrate our awareness and express freely as our life. So grateful, so thankful for all the beauty we get to enjoy. Grateful for the beauty that is, that we are. Oh, we just send this light out, sharing it with everyone because we're one with them. And in grace and gratitude, we release this word, we let it be, and so it is. Amen. All right. Always nice to ground in with prayer. So let me see here. There we go. Here's our class page. All right, so let me just take a quick roll. It looks like everybody is here. Kathy, I see that you're here. Welcome. Thank you. Nice to be here. Yes. Um, I think that Francisco, this is his last day of traveling. So he may I'm here. I'm here. Oh, oh I'm you here. are here. Okay. Okay, Bruce. I'm here. Beautiful. Hector. I'm here. Hi. Stephen. Okay, Magali. I'm here, Jesse. Beautiful. All right. Well, it's good to have you all 
on the line. So how we're going to start um, organizing classes, uh, so I, I'm a big fan of keeping it simple. Uh, we're going to review the homework from the previous week uh, in the first part of class, and we can also expand the conversation, check in with one another, and then we will proceed to uh, continue the conversation with the second half of class, looking forward, moving forward. So uh, with that said, I'd love to hear your experiences with the reading, Jill's story, the first chapter of Radical Forgiveness. And um, I'd like to hear some of your takeaways, some of the things that stood out to you, things you liked, things you weren't really clear on. So let's just open a dialogue about um, radical forgiveness. And we, we begin here with this story because it so beautifully illustrates the practice and the benefits of radical forgiveness in a very clear, simple, beautiful story. Again, fan of the simplicity. And uh, so that's why, obviously, why he uh, starts his book with that, because it's a very clear example of this practice in play. So we're going to open up the circle and allow you all to just share your experiences with it, your thoughts. And um, I'm not going to call in anyone in particular, but I am uh, inviting everybody to share. So whoever would like to go first. Yeah, you know, I, I would say that this practice, it's kind of like what cognitive reframing would be if it went and spent, if it went and did Eat, Pray, Love, 
<laughs> so, um, because, you know, um, there's actually a great book called The Brain Mechanic that talks a lot about um, just that, about looking at something another way so it doesn't stress you out and it doesn't bring you, doesn't upset you. And, and in essence, yes, that's what this um, practice is. And I would say that it goes deeper into spiritual truth because the assumption, and we're actually going to be looking at all the underlining assumptions of the book, is that, I mean, this, is an, this teaching is an extension of A Course in Miracles teaching, wherein, uh, you know, what you thought your brother did to you didn't happen, right? And so it's being able to cut through our judgments and opinions, uh, you know, it's to release our judgments and opinions so we can see the innocence and the other person involved. And um, Colin Tipping takes it even deeper to say that, you know, in essence, we're sort of, we sort of have these soul contracts or we are resonating and communicating at the level of the soul to support our awakening. So um, I would definitely say, yes, you're, you are correct. It's definitely a reframing. And I think that it's uh, more uh, sort of an expansive practice of reframing or reframing. Um, if cognitive reframing is psychological, then this practice would be spiritual reframing. Okay, thanks. Yeah, I mean, the, the way I was taught reframing was from a spiritual context, but I, 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 I catch what you're saying. Cool, yeah. thanks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Who else would like to share? Kathy, I'd love to hear your perspective. I uh, I appreciate that. I would love to share my perspective, but I didn't get to read the, the chapter, so I really can't speak on it. So whatever uh, you all share, I'm taking in and trying to piece it together to see what it means. But uh, I already have a greater clarity because you mentioned it's a lot like Course in Miracles, and I do have a grasp of that and how... Course of Miracles perceives forgiveness. So, yeah, uh, Colin Tippins is definitely a teacher of a Course of Miracles student. Of Course of Miracles, he teaches and speaks at a lot of Course of Miracles conferences and stuff. Um, so he's really into the Course community. But uh, thank you for um, your honesty and uh, go ahead and be an active listener as we talk about the chapter. And um, let's continue. Um, who else? Francisco, I know that you read the chapter. You turned in the homework. So uh, what were your thoughts on the on the writing? Um, I hate to admit this too, but I, I did the other parts of the homework, but I just never got to be able to get to uh, Jill's story. Okay. All right. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Right. So, you know, I think that we're going to see in this new uh, – and getting more organized, it's really essential that you make the reading, uh, the reading homework and stuff like that a priority uh, so we can all contribute to these conversations. It's really helpful. I'm not shaming or blaming anyone here. I'm just uh, making a request that going forward, uh, and we can all uh, support one another in getting more organized so we can really uh, uh, deepen the experience here together, which I think is everyone can get on board with. 
So uh, anyone who did read, do the reading, other than Bruce, uh, would like to share? I'd love to hear from you. Okay. I mean, I, How about go, Hector? Yeah, I can go. Okay, please. Uh, I, I think for me it was interesting to see kind of the process and the evolution in the story uh, from her going uh, as being a victim of the circumstances and a very strong uh, belief that her husband was the victimizer, and then the change in perception through her brother that helped her start understanding that this has nothing to do with her, with him, and it has everything to do with her, and that she is the cause, and he was the effect. And I think that in A Course in Miracles, uh, attack can only happen at the level of the body, but it's impossible to attack anyone else at the level of the mind because we're one with God. So we cannot attack God. So coming to the realization that nothing ever happened and the extension of the miracle from her brother, I think allowed her to be able to uh, start seeing her life and all the faces that have come to her life with the same story and take ownership and responsibility for changing that belief. Oh, yeah. It's that, you know, it really is that baseline philosophy that we talk about so much that everything is unfolding for our greatest good. And so everything that seemed so tragic or whatever in the past really did have the seeds of enlightenment within them. Bruce, any additional thoughts you'd like to add? Uh, no, I, I, I just think that it's hard. <laughs> for me, anyway, I'll speak for myself. Uh, you know, and, and writing the story or, well, or my version of, of what I did with that, you know, was like it took me a while to think about had I ever actually forgiven anybody at that level right um you know had i had i recognized the 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 truth uh of of a situation um at its spiritual level or or because uh, i feel like i frequently <clears throat> you know one of one of my things i'm working on spiritually is is to not get as stuck in in positionality you know um uh, do I want to be right or do I want to be happy? You know. Um, so I think you know, the parts of the story where she was, you know, I related to where she kind of resisted uh, the idea at first because, you know, it's just I think what comes with this is responsibility, right? Taking full responsibility uh, for, you know, our contract with spirit in this lifetime it's like no like we may not remember but like i signed up for this <laughs> i signed up <laughs> like there's a it's, there's a it's, 
contract. There's a spiritual contract somewhere that I, you know, that I needed to learn these things. And it's like, yeah, yeah. Getting a lot of it too. Well, what makes us suffer? What makes us suffer? Well, being out of alignment with the idea that everything and everything is for our highest good and upliftment. Uh huh. Yep. Yeah. I think what makes. Go ahead. Oh, I thought the answer was complete. Should I add in? No, go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say what makes us suffer is thinking that something should be different than what it is. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it comes down to our judgments and our opinions. (laughs) It's just our perspectives, the beliefs. The beliefs make us suffer. There's this wonderful section in A Course in Miracles in the Manual for Teachers um, and it's all about judgment. And I think that we actually might read that uh, t- tonight just because uh, uh, it's so relevant. And I-, I wasn't planning on doing that, but it's so good. And it's really, um, really helpful, especially when we're talking about forgiveness, because it's about relinquishing our judgments to the aspect of ourselves that can judge correctly, which is as the Course in Miracles would uh, call it, the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is like our guide, our translator. The way I work with the Holy Spirit, the way I think about it is sort of like, um, you know, if we were to go to Tokyo and we didn't speak Japanese, we had no experience of the culture, never had been there before, then it would probably behoove us to have a guide there to support us, right? So this guide could translate and communicate for us, show us around, show us the easiest way to get places, how to have um, the most enjoyable time. So the Holy Spirit is similar to that, to our translator and guide, but in the illusion of separation. It's it's, It's spiritual vision. And so we begin to cultivate a relationship of surrender Surrender, like in the God's Prayer, when we offer it up. We're offering it up to our highest, holiest self, our spiritual guide, so that we can see it clearly. So we can see it clearly so we don't have to suffer. Because it's always our perception, our thoughts, our beliefs that are going to make us suffer. Does anyone else have anything they'd like to share about Jill's story? Any favorite parts, any aha moments, anything that stood out to you? Okay, so here's what we're going to do. Just to um, keep the conversation moving forward in this first part of class, I'm going to invite... Um, Oh, you know what? It might be good, actually. Um, We're going to take a two-minute break. And in that two minutes, we're going to invite everyone to get your copy of A Course in Miracles. Um, And if you don't have a copy of A Course in Miracles available, uh, in this two minutes, I'm going to send you an email, and we'll have the section that we will be reading, okay? So take two minutes to go get your Course in Miracles books, and uh, preferably the third edition. And I'll meet you back right here in two minutes. And if you don't have it, then look for an email. I'll be sending it to you right away.
Okay, guys. So the email has been sent, has the reading in it. And uh, if you have your Course in Miracles, I'm going to invite you to take it to the back to the, um, the Manual for Teachers. We're going to go to the uh, 10th section. So it's, uh, it has number 10. And the title of the section is, How is Judgment Relinquished? How is Judgment Relinquished? Section 10. How is judgment relinquished? So, Magali, uh, you can uh, be an active listener, take notes as we read. Uh, and what we'll do is uh, we'll go paragraph by paragraph, and uh, we'll alternate paragraphs. So, our reading order will be Kathy, you'll go first, and then Bruce, and then Hector and then Francisco, and then myself. So Kathy, Bruce, Hector, Francisco, and then me. So just pay attention to who goes before you. And Kathy, whenever you're ready, please feel free to begin. Okay, how is judgment relinquished? Judgment, like other devices by which the world of illusions is maintained, is totally misunderstood by the world. It is actually confused with wisdom and substitutes for truth. As the world uses the term, an individual is capable of quote-unquote good and quote-unquote bad judgment, and his education aims at strengthening the former and minimizing the latter. There is, however, considerable confusion about what these categories mean. What is quote-unquote good judgment to one is quote-unquote bad judgment to another. Further, even the same person classifies the same action as something quote-unquote good judgment at one time and quote-unquote bad judgment at another time. Nor can any consistent criteria be determining what these categories are be really taught. At any time, the student may disagree with what his would-be teacher says about them, and the teacher himself may well be inconsistent in what he believes. Quote-unquote good judgment in these terms does not mean anything. No more does quote-unquote bad. Uh, It is necessary for the teacher of God to realize not that he should not judge, but that he cannot. Giving up judgment, he is merely giving up what he did not have. He gives up an illusion. Better, he has an illusion of giving up has actually merely become more honest. Recognizing that judgment was always impossible for him, he no longer attempts it. <clears throat> this is <coughs> sorry. This is no sacrifice. On the contrary, he puts himself in a position where judgment through him rather than by him can occur. And this judgment is neither good nor bad. It is the only judgment there is. It is only one. God's son is guiltless and sin does not exist. The aim of our curriculum, unlike the goal of the world's learning, is the recognition that judgment in the usual sense is impossible. This is not an opinion, but a fact. In order to judge anything rightly, one will have to be fully aware of an inconceivable wide range of things, past, present, and to come. 
one would have to recognize in advance all the effects of his judgments on everyone and everything involved in them in any way. And one will have to be certain that there is no distortion in his perception so that his judgment will be wholly fair to everyone and on whom it rests now and in the future. Who is in a position to do this? Who except in grandiose fantasies will claim this for himself? Remember how many times you thought you knew all the facts you needed for judgment and how wrong you were. Is there anyone who has not had this experience? Would you know how many times you merely thought you were right without ever realizing you were wrong? Why would you choose such an arbitrary basis for decision-making? Wisdom is not judgment. It is in the relinquishment of judgment. It is the relinquishment of judgment. Make then but one more judgment. It is this. There is someone with you whose judgment is perfect. He does not he does know all the facts, past, present, and to come. He does know all the effects of his judgment on everyone and everything involved in any way. And he is wholly fair to everyone, for there is no distortion in his perception. Therefore, lay judgment down not with regret, but with a sigh of gratitude. Now are you free of a burden so great that you can merely stagger and fall down beneath it. And it was, it was all illusion, nothing more. Now can the teacher of God rise up unburdened and walk lightly on. Yet it is not only this that is his benefit. His sense of care is gone, for he has none. He has given it away, along with judgment. He has given himself he gave himself to him whose judgment he has chosen now to trust instead of his own. Now he makes no mistakes. His guide is sure. And where he came to judge, he comes to bless. Where now he laughs, he used to come to weep. Kathy, go ahead and wrap it up for us. Okay. It is not difficult to relinquish judgment, but it is difficult indeed to try to keep it. The teacher of God lays it down happily the instant he recognizes its cost. All of the ugliness he sees about him is its outcome. All of the pain he looks upon is its result. All of the loneliness and sense of loss, of passing time and growing hopelessness, of sickening despair and fear of death, all these have come of it. And now he knows that these things need not be. Not one is true. For he has given up their cause, and they, which never were, but the effects of his mistaken choice, have fallen from him. Teacher of God, this step will bring you peace. Can it be difficult to want but this? I love this section. This section has been my guiding light through this last week and a half. <laughs> so let's look at this real quick. Let's just kind of go through it. And... Uh, I'd still like to be able to go through this and then have somebody share uh, their their forgiveness story um, so it can better illustrate this practice in play. So uh, right away it says, you know, um, 
it's judgment is completely misunderstood in this world because it's actually confused with wisdom and substitutes for truth. Um, because at any given time, we're, we're going to, you know, some people have good judgment or bad judgment, or some things will judge things as good and bad. But how many times in our lives have we had something that was bad that later became good? Therefore, proving that our judgment, was, we were um, judging it inaccurately. So we can't accurately judge anything unless we can see the ripple effects in all directions of time and space. So who on this call has the ability to see the ripple effects of anything that happens in all directions of time and space? Speak up now, and I will gladly let you uh, finish teaching this section of class. Exactly. <laughs> so, um, but there is good news. Good news is that we have our guide. We have our translator. The Holy Spirit is here. And so the Holy Spirit can see clearly. And it can see clearly through our judgments and our perceptions of others, too. So it can see our brothers and sisters as perfectly innocent. It doesn't have the um, opinions and the perspective and the history and the past that we bring with us. And so it sees clearly every player in every situation. And so it knows that there is not, no one to blame. There's no guilt. And so it says, you know, in order to maintain judgment, it takes a lot of work. You know, a, and we're going to get into that into the homework in the homework this week. You're reading homework. When you're starting to read about the qualities of an unforgiving thought, you know, that it's like frantic. It's always moving. You have to continuously prove yourself right if you're carrying a judgment, if you're unwilling to forgive. If you are committed, like Bruce said before, if you are so committed to being right, then it takes a lot of work because you have to constantly gather evidence to prove your case. And what this section of a course is saying is you think you have to sacrifice something, but you're sacrificing nothing. All you're sacrificing is your misperception so that you can see accurately and for the love of God, be happy. So <laughs> it's really quite beautiful, you know, our judgments and opinions keep us in suffering. You know? And it's our judgments and opinions that are going to uh, keep blame in place. And so how freeing is it to set that aside, to let that down? Doesn't it sound nice to let someone else you know, guide you, make the decisions for you? <laughs> I feel like this sounds like a big sigh of relief to release our judgments. So... Who would like to talk about this section? Did any uh, part of it stand out for you? Anything that you're like, ooh, I love that part, or anything that you have a question about? My favorite, and I've been working with this one recently because I only just um, learned this one, was um, section two where it says it is necessary for the teacher of God to realize not that he should not judge, but that should, you know, that sort of should have, would have, could have, but that he cannot. I think that's so pivotal and so important to get that distinction and because of the ripple effect, because we cannot see through all the mentions of time and space to even know what's good and, 
you know, I can honestly say with uh, all the situations uh, that we had with Brad getting into trouble and the legal situation and him going to juvenile detention and all of that, in the moment it was it was awful because I was judging it because I couldn't see the ripple effect. Well, now hindsight, looking back, it was like, whoa, that was such a blessing. I'm so glad that happened. There's gratitude. So it's a total radical shift. Um, I, I just like that distinction. It's not that we, you know, should not judge, but that we cannot judge. That sort of takes the pressure off in some way. So if we cannot judge, then what are we doing when we think we're judging? What are we actually doing? We're just venting. Yeah. <laughs> did you say we're just what did venting? He say? Did, what did he say? Go ahead, Hector. Uh, I said that we're just venting. We're venting and, and having a, an unfruitful conversation with our mind. Not only that, yep. but we're also being right. We're practicing just thinking we're right, right? Uh-huh. Like being right versus being happy. I mean, it's an ego conversation. Uh, yep. Ego has to, the ego is what deals in right or wrong, left or right, up or down, good or bad, you know, and it's, you know, it's sort of an ego death thing when we let that go, and, and that's, not always not always easy to say you know we're gonna we're gonna give up positionality um and sort of like give the ego a different job which you know to to see the the judgments you know the the divine wisdom that we get from the holy spirit or god or whatever you know and to like then figure out what to do with that it's like repurposing the ego focus on that it's you know obviously you know, not easy to do, but, you know, this is, that's the, now, the goal of the curriculum. Go ahead, Hector. I was going to say, it just came to my mind, that the course does speak about uh, that even though judgment is impossible, right, at the level of the mind, when we make the choice to judge, we are making a choice to stay in the dream. Yes. We're... Hector? Oh, sorry. I feel like so, you cut yeah. out or something. Yeah, so we're making the choice to stay in the dream because we're seeing our brother as uh, separate from us and not perfect, whole, and complete. And the course is that that's our choice, and we can stay there as long as we want, but at some point we have to awaken. That's exactly right. Spot on. Everyone, so great. Your insights are so beautiful. Yeah, you know, remember, our thoughts are creative. We've been talking about the law of attraction for a long time. I mean, the law, law of cause and effect for a long time. And what we focus on, we create more of, or we create the experience of. So the more that we focus, we, you know, focus on our judgment thoughts, our, judging, our judgments, our opinions, all that stuff, then we're 
energizing um, separation. We're, we're keeping the illusion strong. We're maintaining the, um, the realness of the illusion of separation. But thank God it's just in our minds. It's not actually real. And here's, and this is the game, ladies and gentlemen. So what does this section have to do with radical forgiveness? I guess radical forgiveness is new, but consider it in Jill's story. For those who read the, did the reading this week, how does this relate to Jill's story? Well, the, the, she was judging the situation as a bad situation. She judged yes. her husband, she judged herself, she judged, um, you know, Lorraine, you know, there was, and then the, um, and then the, the radical forgiveness was like the process of unwinding the judgments and getting at like the, the misidentifications and the misinterpretations that she had of the situation, so that she could ultimately release the, the judgments, and, and and that's when the forgiveness happens. And how, <clears throat> what was her? emotional experience or feeling experience while she was energizing the judgments? Oh, she was a mess. She, she was a hot mess. <laughs> <laughs> yes, she was a hot mess. I mean, we, we, and, this, is, this is the gay group. Go ahead. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Uh, and when she, was, uh, when she was able to relinquish her judgment, what was her experience? How did she feel? It was much calmer. She was flowy. Yeah as my partner would say. Yes, she was flowy. I like that. Flowy and glowy. Yeah, so... Uh, it really is something, guys. I mean, I really feel as though... I got to be on a call with Venerable Dahani this week, and, uh, you know, she was talking about life purpose and... and um, and we brought up, you know, we, we asked her about the election. And uh, she said that um, it was interesting. She goes, you know, us grandmas, we don't really pay much mind to politics anymore because we just know that there's just no winning. And uh, she goes, there's always this, whenever you're trying, you have uh, a groups of people trying to say who's right and who's wrong, no one's ever going to win. She goes, but what is being called fourth right now is a deepening in our own ability to love ourselves because the only way a new consciousness is going to be birthed is if enough people love themselves. And that's how we're going to create something new instead of trying to fix something that will never be fixed. And so consider, uh, I mean, this really is our work, whether we want to take it on or not right now. That's, that's, your free will is whether you're ready to do the work right now or not. But it's definitely in relinquishing your judgments about the um, election, about the president-elect, about the people he's appointing. It's uh, are we able to 
see through our own perceptions, our misperceptions, hand it over to the Holy Spirit so we can see their perfect innocence and still continue to proceed and take a stand in a vision, a new vision which is emerging, which may require us to get involved in some capacity, but can we do it from that space, from the space of vision? It's, uh, it's, no one said it was going to be uh, easy. I think, I think we think it's not going to be easy, but actually it really is easy. It's just taking away all of our judgments <laughs> and, and become laser focusing on what it is we're interested in doing and taking the next indicated step, which will be shown to us through our inspired ideas. So, well, I think that's, you hit the nail on the head. Is if we think it's going to be hard, then it will be because we're living into that judgment. And so we do have to be super vigilant and pay attention to what we say and think because it is creating our experience. And I thought that sentence that I read about that we shouldn't judge but we cannot was really helpful for me. And uh, waking up that morning and discovering Trump was president because I there wasn't like one in a million chance I thought he was going to be and I was so shocked and stunned and I could then I was like okay let's remember this this line it was very helpful for me oh yeah like I've had to tell myself this I had I mean this is why I've done a I did a live teaching on just this text we read this text in the other practitioner group I referenced this text for my sermon on Sunday and I referenced this part in this the text for my podcast too because they have to keep reading it and keep reading it so I remind myself that unless I can see in all directions of time and space I cannot accurately judge so I'd love to get on the platform and say this is awful this is bad this is the worst thing that could have happened but I don't know that but what I can do is continue to go forward and do what feels that show up be truly helpful Go towards that which feels the most loving. Continue to work towards and allow the vision of enlightenment, you know, to allow enlightenment to express through me to the very best of my ability. And we'll be guided as to where we need to be to contribute to the awakening of all. You know, that's why we do this work so we can cultivate a deeper listening so we can hear clearly where it is that we're supposed to be go and stand and be and do within the, you know, it's in this field. So we have 10 minutes before it's 8 p.m. And I would love to hear some of our forgiveness stories. So does anyone have uh, one of the forgiveness stories that was your written homework that you'd like to share? And uh, you don't have, I mean, you can read it straight up from what you wrote, or you can just kind of just give us the gist and share, uh, you know, give us your own narrative. And Miguel, I invite you to share too if you'd like. So it is open. Who'd like to go? Um, I would totally like to share. Sure. Um, so uh, this actually is kind of going off with the election. I woke up the next day knowing the situation and got on a plane and went to Florida. Um, my partner and I had like a cry session. We were able to release um some of the tension, but still um, all the emotions was running through me. Um, and when I got to Florida, I was expecting to see my parents and be able to bond with them about our mutual grief. And um, 
bewilderment as to what happened. And um, as I started to talk about it, I quickly realized that they had not voted how I thought they had voted. <laughs> and um, when it created an awkward moment of silence, and also I had these like rage of emotions run through me um, immediately, and it was it was like midnight. So we let things be, and the next morning um, we kind of started to talk about things. But when I was in Florida, we were we went to go to the Florida Keys, so we were literally stuck on an island for the entire weekend. Um, the three of us, as we were able to navigate understanding each other, where we were coming from, trying to convey our frustrations and um, our expectations of the, um, each other. Um, and at the end of it, I was really able to come to terms with this whole election and what happened. You know, um, being in California, we live in our little bubble and we can see clearly that the outcome of the election would be Hillary Clinton. Um, we are for inclusivity. We are non-homophobic, non-racist. Um, and we presume that the Trump voters were that or are that. And going home and, and talking to my family and, and knowing that they are not homophobic, that they're not racist, that they are for women's rights and minority rights, um, understanding their viewpoint allowed me to release the judgment that I had on them, and as well as on other people um, who are Trump supporters, um, and make common ground. And I think that was something that we're going to have to do collectively as a country, is be able to reach across the aisle and understand the other person's perspective. Um, so, yeah. Would anyone like to share, add a comment or thoughts on that? I think it's definitely a shared experience with a lot of people right now is coming to terms with um, family members that supported Trump. It's a it's a challenging thing. Uh, it's it, it's a really challenging thing, and I I definitely am being confronted with a lot of uh, uh, oppression trauma um, because it feels um, you know I called my family members too that I'm going to go spend Thanksgiving with who voted for Trump, and I I didn't want to hear their perspective necessarily. I just needed to share why feels hurtful that they didn't, uh, that they, that they voted for him. Um, and, uh, you know, and to, I'm still working through my judgments that it, fe it feels irresponsible of them and that they don't get to say that they're not racist if they voted for a racist, you know, they don't get to say that because, uh, they're, they put him in power. Uh, they put a massage, someone that created a platform of hate and misogyny and, racism and xenophobia and homophobia, um, they put their vote on that. So they energize that, you know, a vote is a, is sort of a measurement of energy that they put in and, and strengthened that expression in the collective. And so there is a, there is a sense of, um, 
there, I feel like there is really a call for a lot of us to, yes, listen. I think we all need to listen to one another. And, you know, it'll be interesting to hear your perspectives of um, when we read the section in uh, Radical Forgiveness about accountability and responsibility. Um, and, you know, we're talking, we're in, the, we're in the game of forgiveness. And so, the, you know, true forgiveness is the ability to see the innocence in whomever stands before us. But I can see the innocence of a child and still say to that child, I can lovingly discipline that child because they're running with scissors. Because running with scissors can hurt themselves and it can create a lot of pain. And so that's how I feel sometimes with racism and uh, deep expressions, ego expressions of separation that are really ugly. I can see the innocence. I can do my best to see the innocence of those that are um, energizing it, that are saying it. And I can also lovingly take a stand because love is powerful. Love is transformative and say, no, you don't get to say that. What you are saying is hurtful. What you're saying is creating upset and stress. And it's, it's, uh, you're using your words as a weapon, not as a tool. And that's not the vision we're creating anymore. We're creating a vision of inclusivity and unity and love. And we're going, I'm going to enroll you into that vision by holding you accountable so you can learn and see. Uh, it's work, y'all. And you know what? It, and I... I don't claim, I'm, I'm being very authentic and transparent at this time that, um, you know, I don't claim to have totally been able to release everything, you know, so I'm not operating from crystal clarity, but I'm definitely sharing my process so I can uh, get more and more clarity. I'm offering it up, I'm praying and putting it on the altar, so. Um, and, you know, I think that we could also say that there is so much light and so much love entering into the collective more than ever before that the ego has to respond loudly because like Bruce said earlier in class, which was so spot on Bruce that, you know, unity feels like death to the ego because ego is simply the belief system of separation. So when it feels threatened, it has to act out loudly so it can get our attention because it knows that if we, if, if we place our attention on it, we give it, power, we get strength. So it needs us to believe in its existence. And so it, the, the acts may need to become more heinous, more violent, more grotesque. Um, and we can acknowledge that they're all appearances. And we can also say, I'm not interested in those appearances. I'm not, I don't like those appearances. I'm much more for, you know, the collective unity and love. So, um, it's going to be definitely a, a, an interesting journey um, ahead of us. So uh, I'm so grateful that we're doing it together. I'm sure that people have a couple things to add to that conversation. So we'll open up the uh, circle and people can share. What's occurring to me is that, you know, they say, um, you know, when people uh, have a grave illness, you know, they're going through cancer or something. You, know, it's a, you hear people say, well, you know, God doesn't give you more than you can handle. And so, you know, it occurs to me that this whole thing's just like a big test. And it's, where, while it feels like movement, 
really maybe it's forward movement because, you know, God knows that we'll we'll get through this. Maybe we we weren't ready before to confront all the things that are going to get confronted in the next, you know, four years or God forbid eight. Um, so you know maybe this is a sign that we're actually ready because all these things were there, right? The the, the it was the surprise part of it. And, and really, why should we be surprised? You know that racism and misogyny and homophobia were still rampant uh, in in the world. So maybe this is a vote of confidence from God that you know can, we're finally ready to you know really deal with these things. I'd so like to comment on your comment. I yeah. am I. Based on what I know about Course in Miracles and or New Thought or Metaphysics, God, that that expression, God doesn't give us more than we can handle, doesn't really have a place because God is only love and goodness and doesn't send us trouble or doesn't send us, you know, uh, catastrophes for wit- to, to give us the opportunity to grow. I don't know, Jesse, is that a Course in Miracles concept or a new thought or metaphysical concept? I think it's an outdated sort of concept. It's one that flies around people. Um, It's used for sure, but I don't think it's a Course in Miracles principle or one that has a place in science of mind or metaphysics or I don't know. I was just curious. But who says these are these are troubles and catastrophes? That's I think. Well, no, but God. like that, God is incapable of giving challenges because God is only capable of loving, and God is only capable of peace and freedom and ease. It's only the ego that would give us a challenge, that would frame anything as confusing or hard or a challenge. But people in the earthly plane have to work through their egos and their challenges, otherwise they don't progress. I mean, to progress towards loving, right, we have to heal things. Yeah, I'm just I'm just pointing out, I don't think, and I could be wrong, I'm, I'm looking to see what, you know, Reverend Jesse has to say about, but um, I just don't think it's a new thought principle, a science of mind principle, or a Course in Miracles principle to say God gives us challenges. Um, well, I don't. What, what it's, a, I do, it's dual. It's a dual thought. It's a dual duality kind of thought. That that that's like, that's what I was going to suggest is that it's just, um, you know, I mean, to suggest that God intentionally is is get bringing, you know, appearances of whatever to challenge us, support us, whatever, is. Um, you know, it, it energizes or feeds into the idea that there is an entity outside of us that is, you know, um, calling the shots. And in this um, expression, this experience that we're having, everything is thought forms rising, thought forms rising. And so um, I would say that in essence, um, Bruce is correct. I think that the way that he, if we were getting... Uh, if we were getting technical about, you know, uh, non-dualism, but I think that if we peeled away the layer of what he was sharing, uh, in essence, it was 
that the way that I heard it, and like I thought it was actually a very comforting um, example because it was just sort of it's like that idea of saying yes, you know, the universe, a loving universe, saying yes, and um, this being an opportunity to strengthen our commitment to love more, but. You are also accurate. I, I don't think that anyone's necessarily wrong in this. And again, you know, our experience with this work is so personal that it's whatever works best for you. If we're getting technical as far as dualism, non-dualism, then yeah, there's no God out there testing us. There's no God out there putting things in our way. But it's our willingness to see through the illusion of separation that is guiding us forward because the more that we release our attachment to separation, we do that through releasing our judgments, our opinions, by focusing more on our unity, what connects us, that we begin to see the opportunities um, ahead. But like Venerable would say, there is all a collection of thought forms arising. And so what, so what we're seeing is the thought forms of, race, of racism arising, what that looks like, forms of misogyny rising. I'm going to invite everyone to uh, put their phones on mute because I'm hearing someone. Yeah, there we go. So it's, you know, the thought forms of racism arising and expressing in the collective, and we're really, getting, we're really seeing what that looks like. We're seeing what misogyny looks like. We're seeing what um, all of those things look like because it's a collective thought form. And it's all an extension of fear. But in the introduction of A Course in Miracles, it says, what is all-encompassing can have no opposite. So love, which is, love is all-encompassing. It can have no opposite. So that's why we call this an illusion. It appears that all these things are taking form, that they're expressing. But it's just the appearance of it. And we make it real by focusing on it. We make it more real. So... Um, I understand what Bruce is saying, and I understand, uh, Kathy, that you're offering, that you're asking for clarity. And to both of you, I say yes, and I love it, and sit with it, and contemplate it, because um, there's room for sort of uh, for both of those ideas, and there's also room for clarity. I'm not sure if I answered anybody's question, but. Yeah, you did. It was beautifully and well said. Thank you. All right. Does anyone else have anything you'd like to share? Just a a quick, I guess, I don't know, question clarification. Um, I read it, uh, (laughs) Colin Tipping, but but I think I got the wrong book because it did not have Jill's story at all. Um, but it did speak about radical forgiveness being that having that we were we've never been wronged. Nothing wrong happened to us. No, nothing's been done to us that's been wrong. And then when so let's say let's take this example of racism. If we're going to go ahead and and practice radical forgiveness and we're surrounded by the, I guess, racism or, or experiencing what people, general population, calls racism. Did, are we being wronged? Are we not being wronged? Is it just 
the illusion of what I don't know if you understand what I'm coming from. Well, if you peel away all the layers, then no, because how could you know, how could it be wrong? How could something that doesn't exist be wrong? Now, is that going to bring you peace today? Probably not. And if we are to, you know, there's two ways of sort of framing the, our experiences here. One is that we um, forgot to laugh. So we believed the thought of separation was true and we are in essence, a prisoner of the ego mind, and we are uh, removing block by block the belief systems of the ego so that we can experience oneness with God. The other sort of way to frame this, and actually Colin talks about this in Radical Forgiveness, is to consider yourself an adventurer, that you are here, um, that you volunteered for the experience of separation so you can bring back... um, information to the collective that's what venerable teaches that we're here as adventurers you know in this journey and so we have these experiences we volunteered for these different experiences of separation and in essence it's sort of like a game can we transcend the appearance of the specific unique expression of separation and awaken to our oneness awaken to the truth and so um Racism is a perfect example of separation. It's a belief that one race is better than another race. How could that possibly be true? If we consider what we just read in A Course in Miracles about judgment, how could that possibly be true? It's all perspective. So if it's not true, then it's nothing. Although the expression of anger, the expression of rage feels painful and we know that we're going towards the light when we feel at peace because God and peace are synonymous. And so if it doesn't feel peaceful, then that's an indication that there is a misalignment. And so we can take a stand in peace, for peace, so that we can um, heal the illusion, you know, transcend the illusion of racism through love. And that can uh, look like um, powerfully taking a stand as love, as light. So is racism real in this experience? Yes, we're experiencing, we have, we're having an experience of separation and racism is a thought form that has arisen based on race, skin color. And is it like any other form of separation and hatred based off of a, off of a confused perception? Yes. And I really invite you to contemplate that idea of confusion, that separation is just an experience of confusion. We've confused ourselves for something else. Because when you work with confusion, I really believe that that opens our hearts to um, see innocence a little easier. It's sort of an easier path to compassion when we just see that this whole idea of of uh, separation, of better than, worse than, of wrong and right is just a confused perception. So that's something to, to think about, Magali. Um, and like Ernest Holmes says, if it works for you, do it. 
So we have to be able to, if, if there are certain concepts or ideas or whatever that seem a little too far-fetched for you at this moment, then put them aside. You know, develop, experiencing more confusion isn't going to help anybody. Do what you can. Go towards that which feels peaceful now. And peaceful is not, peace is not denial, but going towards that which feels most peaceful now. So you can uh, get that clarity. We can work on a need-to-know basis. It's challenging, but it's doable. All right, we're going to take a little break. Uh, thank you all for sharing so well. It's 8.12. Let's meet back on the call at 8.15. And please bring your copy of Radical Forgiveness. And Magali, um, I'm not sure what we'll do, but we'll try to fix the, uh, the book confusion for you so you can get on track. And, um, thank you. Yeah, I got yeah. an audio book, so I think it's something different. Okay, I know that there's an audio of Radical Forgiveness because I've listened to it. So we'll get you the right one. Okay. Okay. Right. 8.15, back on the call. But don't hang up. Just put yourself on mute.
Okay, I'm sorry about that. I um, stepped away for a second, and uh, I have a ghastly confession to make, guys. I believe I uh, I was reading the book today. I was going over what we were going over in class, and I think I left it in my car. And my husband took my car to the center to uh, work Jacob class, and so I don't have my I don't have my book. Um, <laughs> but that's okay. I don't need to do the reading. Um, and I think I have the Kindle version as well, so I'm trying to pull that up um, so I can just look at that. Um, so I apologize. <laughs> but if you guys, uh, let's all real quick, um, I don't know if you have it nearby, the email, but let's reference the um, uh, the workbook for practitioners uh, real quick. And if you go there, to the uh, front, the resource page, which is our first page, uh, week two, you'll see that we are using the resources today, Radical Forgiveness. Um, what is forgiveness, which is that uh, the piece from A Course in Miracles that we read last week, and the commentary on what is forgiveness, which will be part of your, it will be your reading homework this week. And then um, we will, uh, that's your reading homework, and in class, oh, in class reading, yeah. Oh, no, okay. I guess we're not doing the assumptions yet. I lied. Great. So it is just about that. Okay. So why don't we all go back to the um, section from last week that we looked at, the what is forgiveness. Um, I got ahead of myself. I thought we were doing, uh, we were going to chapter two, but I remember we're reviewing this section because it's so good. So last week we, uh, we, we read the section, What is Forgiveness? from A Course in Miracles. Um, and I'd like everybody to pull that out. Because we're going to look at it again. And in fact, we're going to uh, go deeper into this um, section because... Um, your reading homework this week has to do with the first three, first two paragraphs, the first two paragraphs of this uh, work. Uh, sorry, what is, here we go. So let's do that real quick. Um, first, before we do that, I'd like to ask how your guys' experience was uh, doing the prayer. Did anyone uh, read the prayer in the mornings, the uh, I am willing to forgive prayer? And if so, any thoughts on your experience that you'd like to share? Hey, this is Hector. I mean, I, I do do it, and I read the prayer every morning. Um, can't say that I have any specific experience. <laughs> so, uh, but I did do it. 
and I know that the healing happens at the level of the mind, um, but no, no specific experience to share. Well, you definitely sound different as though you've transformed like major things from your past. So um, we'll probably just credit that to the prayer then. <laughs> I'm kidding. Um, you know, I didn't get to ask Hector, did you, um, how did your written assignment go? Uh, your forgiveness experience, is there a good forgiveness story that you'd like to share? Uh, I did. I I share uh, I shared a story last week about my forgiveness experience, uh, and I did share actually in writing the experience when I first came into this country. Uh, one of the managers that I had was incredibly uh, abusive and a bully. Uh, to me, to the point that it really took me to the lowest levels of self-esteem that I ever experienced. And what I realized is that uh, even though I left the company that I worked for because of that experience, I kept her in my closet for so many years, and she was a shadow uh, in my closet that was constantly walking with me, causing me anxiety and suffering. Uh, she would be part of my nightmares uh, where I would have these very vivid experiences of being with her and still being part of the abuse. And it took me many, many, many years to be able to come to a place of understanding and forgiveness and release all the suffering that I had. And I, what I do know is that when I did that, uh, the nightmares stopped. And, and I never even dreamed with her anymore. So that was my other story. God, she wasn't just in your waking dream. She was in your dreaming dream. <laughs> she was. She was. She was in my closet. And what was your biggest learning experience from that? It, it goes back to what I shared uh, last week. Uh, there was a point in my life in which I believed the thought that I wasn't worthy of being loved. And then that thought created fruit, and it had many faces and many different names. And she just happened to be one of those uh, faces. Uh, so, of course, back then, going through the suffering and the experience, uh, it was a horrible thing to do, and I wasn't a spiritual person back then, so all I could do was to really see myself as a victim. And I think that fast forward many years later, when I start. Uh, becoming a student of A Course in Miracles and getting some insights uh, and meditation uh, is that I realized, oh, God, like for the past 30 years, all these people that show up in my life with uh, the mission of making me feel less than, 
they're really the same phase, and, and they're just the phase of that thought that I believe at some point in my life to be true, but it didn't have to be. Um, so that's part of my forgiveness story. God, you really share with so much insight. I think that's so beautiful. I love how you said they were all the same faces, and they were the, they were the faces of that belief, because that's, that's just what it is. It's that idea, again, I, I say, uh, I shared the, the thought forms arising. And the miracle, you know, comes from a shift in perception. And so what would the miracle be? Like, let's get clear on, like, what the miracle would be. If, if you used to see them as the expression of unworthiness, your unworthiness, what after a shift of expression, after forgiveness, what are they now? You're asking me? Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, nothing. Just a bad judgment. Yeah. <laughs> and you get to see their innocence. Yep. Now they're your brothers and sisters. Yeah, and a little bit about the conversation because the same thing that happens on the individual level happens on the collective level. Uh, and I, I do think that part of the confusion uh, that we have is that most of us, uh, we live our lives thinking this is good and this is bad. And and that's that's how we were raised to be. So we we view events and and we think of them as good or bad, as opposed to really thinking about of them for for what purpose. Like nobody taught us to live life that way. And I think that if we were able to do that at a really early age, then we will become the witness of everything that happens much faster as opposed to be a victim of everything that is happening. But we were not raised to be that way. And I think that that's when you have to learn to be gentle with yourself and just accept where you are and and that's it. Beautiful. Beautiful. I so just appreciate all, everyone who shares on this call, because you're all teachers, you know, you, you bring so much to the plate. And um, Hector, I think that was a gorgeous example of the miracles available when we do this work, when we practice forgiveness. And you speak with such perspective, like such wisdom perspective. I, it's always a, I always just love hearing you share. So thank you. I also love hearing Bruce share. And I realized I didn't get give you the opportunity to share your forgiveness story. Would you like to? Bruce, are you there? Yes, sorry, my mute was on. Um, All good. So, so what I decided to do with this was, it, it took me a while to think of, of what it was, where like the big aha moment was um and then when i 
they, when I found in my memory what the aha moment was, I realized I had written a blog about it in 2010. So I'm going to read you a few paragraphs uh, of something I wrote in 2010, and I think it'll sort of illustrate kind of the concept and, and where I sort of came to it or where I was at the time, and then I just have a couple quick comments about where I am with with it now. So, okay, so uh, this is titled, Shit Happens and It Stinks. No judgments there, right? Um, ah. Okay, so it starts, uh, well, let's see where to start. I guess I should say that last April, my 20-year abusive relationship ended, not with a spouse or a partner, but with my job. I say that somewhat tongue-in-cheek, but my job at IBM had all the makings of an emotionally one-sided and physically devastating long-term relationship. Things weren't always that way, of course. At first, there were promises of lifetime employment and talk of old-age pensions and retirement medical coverage. These promises fell by the wayside, though, and were replaced with talk about being lucky to have a job at such a prestigious company. Eventually, that deteriorated into implications that no one else would want me and I should feel lucky they paid me at all. On top of that, there was the frustration of watching less qualified people get promoted over me and the humiliation of having to train them, not to mention the physical demands of weekly travel, stress, stress-related ulcers, and broken personal relationships. I know what you're thinking. And yes, I could have walked out the door at any time, but somewhere along the way, I lost myself. I bought into the idea that I was unworthy, incapable, and downright lucky to get the crumbs being thrown to me. And then suddenly, with no warning, they dumped me for someone younger who looked better on the bottom line. Not even a pretense of regret on their part. No golden parachute. It was more like a hefty bag and an aspirin. And I was out. I'll jump to the happy ending. I'm recovering nicely. I've recently started a new work relationship, and I'm sending boundaries this time. It's a contracting position, which is the career equivalent of friends with benefits. So, you know, then it sort of goes on with, Sort of all the things that I was discovering. Um, maybe I'll just read this one other part. What happened in the middle and what is still unfolding is that there's actually that's actually relevant to the blog. Around the second month of being a free agent, I started two endeavors that I assumed to be completely unrelated. I began taking improv classes after a 20-year absence from performing, and also began my pursuit of a master's degree in spiritual psychology. Almost immediately, all of these convergences and not subtle ones <coughs> between the two presented themselves. So, anyway, and I won't read the rest. I think you get the idea of, you know, the the. there was a lot of forgiveness and uh, healing that had to happen. I was very much, you know, taking a victim position. And um, first I had to kind of forgive myself. Um, uh, and then I had to forgive, you know, the, the, the people involved. Uh, like, you know, or IBM sort of in general. And, you know, what's happened over the intervening seven years is that I, you know, have created the life I have now and I wouldn't have cre- I wouldn't have had the opportunity to create any of those um, had I not, you know, gone through these experiences that I was, you know, judging as, as, as wrong or bad or these these people so sort of like Jill's story these things you know I had a I had obviously created some sort of a contract uh, with with IBM and and we were we were dancing uh, that that dance and once I 
once I was out, I had the opportunity to sort of remake things and improv and and the spiritual work that I, you know, continue to do are a big part of that. And I wouldn't have gotten to, you know, to either of those had I not gotten gone through uh, the experiences. So, you know, forgiving myself and forgiving um, and recognizing the truth and what happened, you know, over that 20 years, you know, uh, and it was hard because it's a long time, that's a long time, 20 years, um, you know, and I just felt really unprepared when it came to the end. And I, I like reading this every now and then because it reminds me of where I was and, and um, helps me on, on the days where I'm, I'm not thinking I'm, I'm making progress that, you know, actually I've made a lot of progress in, in certain ways. Um, so that's that's my forgiveness story. Beautiful. Beautiful. And if you would say that there was a miracle in there, what what where what would be the miracle moment for you? In which you were really like really clicked and you were able to fully yeah. forgive. Yeah, I think the miracle moment was um just through all the synchronicities that happened, all of the um, all the things that I was learning that came together at the same time, like we would learn something in improv and then we would learn something at the spiritual program, at the master's program, and they were the same concepts from two different angles. And it just happened so much, so often. Like, like it couldn't have been coincidental. Like, you know, it's, I always say, you know, it's like a sign. And it's like this was just like this big honking sign saying, no, here, look here. This is where the work is. This is where you're supposed to be. You're learning the things that that you need to learn to, to you know, have the life that you want. And, that felt like a miracle. I was just, you know, that that's where, like, faith, where my sort of, you know, faith in things that I can't uh, perceive with my five senses occurred because it was just so clear and so frequent and so just, like, bombarded with those things that eventually I just had to say, wow, there really is something beyond me that's at work here because it was just, you know, just, it was just was too fantastical to, uh, to to have all these things coming up in in two different ways and two different venues, supposedly unrelated. Um, you know, for it not to be, you know, loud enough for me to pay attention. So that I know that's sort of my definition of a miracle. Love it. I'll take it. Beautiful. Sure. Does anyone have anything they'd like to share or add to that? Really great shares, guys. Okay. Well, then let's go back to that reading that we looked at uh, in in um, in uh, week one. Uh, which is the, um, what is forgiveness? Um, 
Kathy, uh, or actually, Francisco, are you still on the line? I thought that somebody had to leave, dropped off. Okay. So, um, Kathy, why don't you read the first paragraph of what is forgiveness, and we'll all read along with you. You happen to know what page it is in the book, because I don't have the computer as readily available as the book on my lap. It's um, it's it's from the lessons, right? The what is forgiveness? It's one of the earlier ones. No, in like- in, uh, it's in the uh, workbook for students. This is yeah. the I'm turning to it right now. I believe it's page uh, four sixteen or thereabouts. Four sixteen. Yeah. Uh, okay, what is the world? That's that's around there. But before that, what is salvation? What is forgiveness? Okay, it's four oh one. Okay, cool. Thank you. So which part do you want me to read? Just paragraph Pardon? one? Mm-hmm. Okay. What is forgiveness? Forgiveness recognizes what you thought your brother did to you has not occurred. It does not pardon sins and make them real. It sees there was no sin. And in that view are all your sins forgiven. What is sin except a false idea about God's son? Forgiveness merely sees its falsity and therefore lets it go. What then is free to take its place is now the will of God. Beautiful. So let's just discuss this paragraph. And uh, you'll find that your Homework, reading homework this week, goes deep, 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 deep into this. Breaks it down sentence by sentence. It's wonderful. I love it. I love the commentary that uh, Alan Watson and Rick Perry um, provide. Um, What is forgiveness? Robert Perry, not Rick Perry, sorry. (laughs) Different. Um, So forgiveness recognizes what you thought your brother did to you has not occurred. So Hector... Could you share with us in your own words what you feel that sentence means, what it's saying? And maybe give an example. I mean, for me, what it means is that at the level of spirit, spirit cannot be broken or attacked. We cannot attack a brother or a sister is basically impossible to do that. So all attack happens at the level of the body, which is an illusion. So it never happened to begin with. Great. Now let's, um, and yes, and also let's do it as well at the level of the mind. So, um, not attack at the level of the mind, but let's talk about perceptions and judgments. So considering what we read about judgment um, and working within the three-dimensional realm, can you expand your teaching? I may not be explaining that clearly. Yeah, I think I'm following the question, Jesse. Right. Okay, I'll just um, I'll just uh, kind of add on to it. Just the idea that 
you know, if we're talking about perception, then let's say, um, let's say uh, you're seven years old, you're at, in first grade, you're at a school assembly, and somebody comes up and, and pulls down your pants in front of all of the students. And that traumatically scars you, right? And your perception of it is that that person um, humiliated you, that person ruined you for life, that that person made you feel sexually inadequate and has prevented you from having any kind of intimate relationship because um, you feel such humiliation being nude, okay? So, and you're looking at that, you can say, you know, the experience, what happened was somebody, a little boy came up to you and pulled down your pants. That's what happened. It's a temporary neutral event. So he didn't humiliate you. He didn't uh, plant seeds of, you know, inadequacy and unworthiness in you. That was your interpretation of what happened. And so that's another way of looking at that as well is what you think happened, what you think your brother did to you he didn't do. He didn't plant seeds of unworthiness. He didn't do all those things to you. That's what you did to yourself based off of your interpretation of what occurred out of the temporary neutral event. Does that make sense? Yep. Yeah, okay. Um, I love how deep you get, Hector. Someday, like... <laughs> Someday I'd like to just go into the woods and you and I can sit in a cave for like two days and just talk Course in Miracles. We'll bring Muriel with us. Um, Muriel would never go into a cave. Um, Okay, let's uh, read on. So the second sentence, it does not pardon sins and make them real. So Bruce, what, how would you share that? How would you explain that? It does not pardon sins and make them real. So I think it's it's working with the idea of of sin, which is I think, you know, a very sort of Christiany kind of an idea. And so I think what it's saying is it's not making you're pardoning if if people can do things that are bad, that are sinful, and you can pardon them, that you know, that that would make it. You know, that that would legitimize the idea that that there are bad acts and there is a pardoning process. But based on the first sentence, you know, if it didn't occur, then there's nothing to pardon, and you won't pardon it because that would make something unreal real. Exactly. Spot on. Beautiful. Beautiful. Let's keep going. This is fun. It's like a game. Well, it, the next sentence just reiterates what Brewster said. It sees there was no sin. And in that view are all your sins forgiven. So, Magali, why are all our sins forgiven? I'm here, I'm here. It's a good one. 
So um, why are all of our sins forgiven? Well, because they really didn't happen. Yeah. Yes. So, um, yeah, exactly. So if there are no sins, then you're forgiven from all your sins. So think about what is an example, Magali, in your life that you can pull from? What is, what is something that you carried around and blamed yourself for that you felt guilty about all your life until maybe one day you realize, I don't have to feel guilty about that. It wasn't a sin. I, I didn't do anything wrong. I just thought I did. Do you have any experiences like that? Um, well, yeah, I was pretty, um, what people would say, uh, selfish or self-centered. I went, um, and I took care of me or what I wanted. And, uh, my sister and a couple of other people would say, oh, she's self-centered, she's selfish. And I, and I heard it quite a bit, so, you know, I would feel, I, started to feel bad about it and then it took a while but it's like yeah and then I know I'm taking care of me I can't take care of other people or I it's their perception that I'm you know there's selfishness or self-centered um, well that's actually to... that actually mm-hmm. is a sin. that the self-centeredness is actually it is a sin you should probably feel bad about that <laughs> <laughs> you should give yourself a couple more give yourself a couple more years of feeling bad about that, okay? <laughs> no. Yeah, no, it's but you're seeing the ridiculousness of the idea of sin. You did what you wanted to do, right? And people like they want to call that selfish and sinful. But why? And again, we go back into the Byron Katie work. We're seeing parallels again in the Byron Katie work to where, you know, when we get in other people's business, we suffer. When we think people should act in a different way, we just suffer. Mm-hmm. Silly. Yeah, and I've, I've done the opposite too. And I think, oh, that person's not. And then, and then I stop myself and say, you know what? It's, it's my perception of what, uh, that they're selfish, but that's not actually true. They're doing what they got to do. I can't judge it. Oh, yes. I was such a people pleaser that anytime I saw someone who was like really empowered and said no, like, no, I don't want to do that, or I'm going to go do this instead, or whatever, I would get so angry at them. But mm-hmm. it's because I thought they were being dismissive and mean, but they're not being dismissive and mean. They're just saying what they want. And that was not something that I had the ability to have. So I really coveted it in them. Is really something until I realized I can say what I, I don't have to do. I don't have to do anything I don't want to do ever again. It took a course. In, Reverend Roxy gave me permission. She goes, you know, you never have to do anything you don't want to do ever again. And I thought, really? And <laughs> that was the day. It, I takes, really it takes a while that, for it to hit. Yeah. Yeah, especially if but, you're a yeah. people pleaser. People pleasing mm-hmm. is really painful. It's really painful. You know, I'd like to also invite everyone to consider the difference between a sin and a mistake. So I make mistakes all the time. And the mistake I make consistently, and I would say it's this mistake we all make consistently, is I believe that I am something other than I'm not. I forget 
that I am an extension of perfect love. I forget that I'm a child of God. And I mistake myself for someone who's mean or someone who has a uh, short fuse at times, someone who doesn't practice good self-care or something like that, you know? It's just a mistake. I mistook myself for an alcoholic, you know? And, or I mistook my alcoholism as something really bad and shameful and something I should be, um, I, f- I should feel guilty for. But I was just, it was just a mistake. It was just a mistake. I, I mistook myself for something other than I was. And I acted in accordance of what I thought that judgment, but that belief about myself would act, should act. Let's rephrase, let me me share that again because I feel like that's something there is. We act in accordance of what we believe our judgments would act like. So if you believe you're unlovable, let's use that one as an example. What is an example of something that... uh, Gosh, I mean, there's so many layers of judgments because I was going to say, what's something that you did when you believed you were unlovable? What's a behavior that you participated in that didn't feel good when you were unlovable? But even those behaviors that we participated in, to some, that would be, you know, uh, a painful habit or a painful thing to do. And to others, it would be something very pleasurable and wonderful and loving. So it's all, the old game we're playing, guys, is just about releasing our judgments. That whole non-judgment thing we were talking about, really practicing that. Including the belief that spiritual people have to do good things. Spiritual people have to do good things in the world or else they're not really spiritual. They have to, you know, work with non-profits and do charity work and help old ladies across the street or else they're not being spiritual. That's an idea that's created a lot of suffering in people's lives and forced a lot of people into doing things that they don't really actually want to do, that don't bring them joy because they feel like they're being spiritual. Okay, I went off on a little tangent there. Um, ooh, I put my question written down. All right, so next sentence. Next sentence. Very good, Magali. Thank you for sharing so beautifully. Um, what is sin except a false idea about God's son? So that, again, making a mistake. We have a false idea about who we are. Forgiveness merely sees its falsity and therefore lets it go. What then is free to take its place now is the will of God. So forgiveness sees through the perception of separation, sees through the judgments and opinions, and sees clearly. When we see clearly, we see innocence. How beautiful is that? How beautiful, how freeing is that? Think of people in your life that get under your skin and what the story is that you've created about them. And then just think about how much easier your life would be. Think about what else you could do with your time if you weren't invested in resenting them with your time. (laughs) How much free time we'd have? Great. Talk about freedom. What then is free to take its place is now the will of God. All right, so let's review from module one. What is God's will? What is the will of God? Anyone. Throw it out. Shout it out. Our happiness. Thank you. Yes. Our perfect happiness. All right. 
let's uh i'm gonna kind of go quickly through the second paragraph and that's where we'll end tonight but um so let's follow along and um uh bruce why don't you read the second paragraph okay an unforgiving thought is one that is one which makes a judgment that it will not raise to doubt although it is not true the mind is closed and will not be released the thought protects projection tightening its chains so that distortions are more veiled and more obscure, less easily accessible to doubt and further kept from reason. What can come between a fixed projection and the aim that it has chosen as, it, as its wanted goal? Sorry, that didn't come out right. <laughs> yeah, welcome to reading The Course in Miracles Out Loud. <laughs> um, okay, so uh, an unforgiving thought is one which makes a judgment that it will not raise to doubt. What do we do? How do we get freedom from a belief system? How do we get freedom from a thought? You question it. Yes. You doubt it. You question it. Beautiful. Um, So uh, it will not raise to doubt, although it is not true. So So a judgment, you have to hold on to a misperception. You got to hold tight. You got to be. It's that whole thing again. It's simple logic, simple wisdom. Oftentimes has such depth in it. So that whole, would you rather be right or be happy? So what is God's will again? Happiness. Yes. So really think about that. Would you rather be right? Would you rather hold on to judgment or experience God's will? You know, translated simply, would you rather be right or happy? <laughs> you want to hold on tightly to that, with that death grip of your judgment or experience God's will? Your choice. The thought protects projection, tightening its chains so that distortions are more veiled and more obscure, less easily accessible to doubt, and further kept from reason. So the more evidence we gather, the more evidence we gather, the the, the stronger we um, we make the misperception. We have to continue to gather more judgments, enroll more people into our perspective. You know, has any have has anyone ever had the experience of like having something nasty, like having a um, uh, experience with someone that didn't feel good, and you had to like rush to your mutual friends to enroll them on your side before the other person got to them? Anyone ever have that experience? Yes, yes, yes. Uh, it's, like a, it's like a race of the clock to see who can get to the friends and see, so they can, uh, you know, they can join you Take and be just... Take side, yes. Make it, you know, be part of the evidence. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. yep. Take it to the jury quickly. Okay, so how do we break? I'm sorry. How do we break those chains when? when you tell me. Talking? How do you break the chains? How do you break them? I had to spend two hours meditating. Exactly two hours meditating to like be able to release some of those thoughts because they just kept going every time I told them, you know, stop mm-hmm. and create that. I had to give myself two hours of... Yeah. Well, good. And and 
just know that right now you give yourself two hours because that's what works for you. And maybe, you know, two months down the road is an hour and a half. And two months after that, it's an hour. And, you know, Ernest Holmes talks about how transformation is a slow process. Because remember, what we experience is an extension of our thinking. It's an extension of our consciousness. And so it's a gradual process. And our consciousness is the sum total of our thoughts, okay? And so one by one, you are, you are releasing a judgment, one judgment at a time. Now, we think 50, we have 50 to 70,000 thoughts a day. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, if you're working one at a time, and my experience has always been that lasting change, it was a gradual growing process. It didn't happen overnight. It was my willingness to release more and more judgments, to loosen my grips on opinions, to change my thinking, to doubt the belief systems that were in place one by one. And then my world began to reflect my consciousness. It's law. It's consciousness. So how do you loosen the chains? It's what um, Hector just said. You question those thoughts. So if you begin to real, is it just, yeah. Go ahead. Are they real? Is it just my perception? Is it just a false, false belief? Yeah. Yeah. If you if, if you're having a judgment about someone, you can say this: I know the truth about them. The truth is the truth is the truth is the truth. The truth is that they're a child of God. I know that. I can't. I'm just not seeing it right now. Mm-hmm. That was a trick Muriel taught me, Reverend Muriel. I know I'm a child of God. I just don't feel like it right now. So it's affirming the truth and then being present with the experience that you're having. So it's not pushing it away or denying it. Mm-hmm. It's being present with it, but with the presence of truth as well. Okay. So much to talk about, guys. I love these conversations. We could go on for hours and hours and hours, but I'm going to honor our time commitment, your time commitment. I know that two hours can feel like a lengthy class when we're um, really getting into it, but I'd just like to thank everyone for sharing so authentically, for contributing to the class. Make sure that you uh, are doing your reading homework because it's important so you can contribute fully in class and um, it's all mapped out there for you. So, you know, do your best. Let's talk, uh, we're going to take next week off for the holiday. We're going to take next week off. So um, you have your homework. Uh, Let's just review that really Quickly. So your homework is, your reading homework is to review the section we were just looking over and then read um, the following sections in Alan Watson's commentary on that writing. So there's this beautiful commentary just on that writing. And they're broken off, the sections are broken down by the paragraph. So you're going to review paragraph one and paragraph two in the commentary. Um, and then uh, there's a a homework assignment um, on there, uh, a written homework assignment for you, uh, a worksheet. And then uh, also share number two on the worksheet in the Facebook group. And it also says that um, in the, uh, on, the, on the page. So if you forget what I'm saying, it's all written right there. Um, any questions about the worksheets and um, the workbook? I mean... All right, cool. So we're going to take next week off. Um, 
look in your inboxes. We're going to do a gratitude challenge. All the practitioners are going to do it together. We're going to do a week of gratitude in honor of Thanksgiving from uh, Monday to Monday. So seven days of gratitude. And I will send out an email telling you exactly what the gratitude challenge is. Um, but it's, you know, to practice gratitude. <laughs> Pretty simple. Um, just a reminder, if you have not already, to um, uh, purchase your tickets for uh, Venerable's event. That's 5 p.m. to It goes from 5 p.m. to 8.30 p.m. on um, Tuesday, November 29th, with a half-hour break in between sessions. And uh, it's going to be wonderful. And what else? Jesse, can I ask you a question about that? For sure. Uh, I I bought the tickets, uh, yes. but I don't know if I didn't follow the instructions correctly, but when I went into the option to pay, it, I couldn't find the option for the $40. It, it was only like $30, $60, something like that. Oh. So um, the extra 10 did you give them the day of the event, or how does that work? Yeah, you know, I, I made a special link for practitioners. You probably just went to the event page on the Facebook group, um, which was different. So, yeah, you can just bring the extra 10. It's fine. Okay. Yeah, day of. Totally fine. And then the other question that I have, sorry about this, is your uh, the campaign that you're going to start in Rasu, has that been published already? I did it through the um, mailing list, and we will be launching it on Facebook tomorrow. Okay, good. Yeah. Any other questions? Nope. Sweet. Cool. All right. Well, let's pray it out. Um, Kathy, why don't you pray us out tonight? Are you on mute, Kathy? Yeah, it took me a little while to enter my passcode and everything. Sorry. Sorry. Um, all right. So it is with great joy and gratitude that uh, we all came together tonight to learn more about these teachings, these principles, that are a pathway to our greater awakening of the truth of who we all are. I'm grateful and thankful specifically for you, Reverend Jesse, and your wisdom, your clarity, your kindness, your compassion in guiding us all along on this path. I'm grateful for all of my fellow practitioners, for their willingness, for their kindness, their respect, their curiosity uh, with this material. And... We offer up any and all blocks to our learning, uh, wherever those blocks come from, whatever the sources it is, our past, our conditioning, our resistance, our reluctance, set um, another way, our egos. <laughs> and I declare that we are all um, exactly where we are meant to be on this journey. Uh, we always are. We never have been off path. And that God loves the universe has our back. And 
that everything is unfolding in divine light order. And we share the benefits of our time with this learning, with this material, with each other on the call, with with all beings everywhere. May our learning help facilitate a greater, wider awakening, um, a greater awareness of a higher consciousness where there's peace within and peace without. Peace for all. And uh, so it is. And with grace and love and gratitude, amen. Amen. Beautiful. Thank you so much. Everyone, I love you so, so much. If I don't see you before, happy, happy Thanksgiving. And I look forward to connecting with you real soon. Take care.
If you only have a 401k, you're not getting the most for retirement. Wait, what? Add a Robinhood IRA on top, then they'll boost it by 3%. You can do that? And if you transfer in any retirement account, you get 3% on top of that. Is there a limit to the match? No limit. Robinhood Gold gets you the biggest contribution match of any IRA on the market. Sign up for Robinhood Gold at Robinhood.com boost by April 30th. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Match on transfers subject to additional terms and conditions. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC.